we're talking okay. today with a really special guest, Phyllis Chesler. If you were to put together a picture of the six most important feminists, the people who actually started the entire feminist movement in America, this is a woman you would have to have in your picture. And indeed, the New York Times did at one time. Um, she wrote a book that focused on a particular area of life, the effects of uh, let's say oppression or discrimination has on women and it's called women in madness um i have if there's such a thing one of the original uh copies of that book um it it, it helped create the entire movement um she has had a very interesting life uh, most of which I want to skip over. And I want to get to this point where you were okay with the feminist organization, let us say, until you wrote a book that was sympathetic to Jews in Israel. And the book was called uh, The New Anti-Semitism. And that put her on the outs, I gather. I, I don't know if you're still on the outs. But uh, this put you on the outs. And basically what you said was that there are a lot of people, intellectuals mainly, uh, who have uh, developed a, a great distaste for Jews in general and uh, Israelis in particular. And recently she's been talking about this sort of thing in her columns. If you're not already... Uh, on her list, um, you should get on it. There are a lot more interesting than a lot of the articles that I read. Uh, what I would like now is if you could talk about what you've been talking about in the last, um, mainly the last two uh, essays you wrote. Excuse me. First, I must thank you for your kind words. And uh, for the historical um, back story, interestingly enough, I wrote Women in Madness almost 50 years ago. I was writing it by 1970. And recently a new edition came out with an audio book and the reader said to me, what a revelation, how timely, how relevant, how amazing, etc. <laughs> I said, what you're saying has just depressed me. <laughs> no, no, I meant it as a compliment. Uh, and I said, yes, but 50 years have passed, and I would have hoped that there was more progress <laughs> among well, men and women. Well, <laughs> and it was, a, it was a funny moment. Yes. Um, I think that anyone who's an independent thinker, who doesn't follow party lines, who's a leader in short, and who doesn't subordinate her own truth or analysis to the politically correct narrative, is in very big trouble in these times, and I'm including myself. So I, I think each of my books, which looked at motherhood, for example, uh, custody battles, divorce, uh, the issue of surrogacy, for example, uh, I ran somewhat afoul of most accepted public opinion at the time. Motherhood, who wants to be a mother, right? Yeah. Who wants children? Who wants to win custody of children? Let the men have them. You know, we're going to be CEOs or General Motors or something. So 
when you strike out on your own, you're always going to be at some risk of being ahead of your times or against your times. So now, 21st century, and there were several books that I wrote and campaigns that weren't politically correct. And then I committed a truly high crime, you're correct, a thought crime and a high crime. I noted that the rise in Jew hatred, anti-Semitism, and the rise in the hatred of America and of Judaism proper was taking place not just among Muslims or, or Islamists, but rather among the progressive Western intellectuals, including feminists. So I held the, the clerics treasonous and responsible for making an alliance with barbarians in the name of progress or in the name of we deserved it. I mean, I was sitting with maybe a mile away from ground zero with a very prominent feminist who's a beautiful writer. And it came up, the 9-11 subject, of course. And I remember her face contorted and she said, we deserved it. I said, what do you mean? And she went into the usual Marxist-style anti-colonialism, anti-imperialism. And, and so all of these innocents working in the World Trade Center were, the jihadists were redeemers. It was just desserts. It was chickens coming home to roost. And I said, this is really crazy. And I began the new anti-Semitism without naming anyone's name with, with this anecdote. Um, after describing the uh, the airplanes. So my crime was A, apparently caring about the Jews, B, caring about Jewish Israel, C, caring about the West and post-Enlightenment civilization and science and fact-based truth. This was my first book that got barely reviewed in the mainstream media yes, or in the feminist media, and it was embraced in the conservative media, something that I was not familiar with. And I remember one very funny fellow who said, well, if I'm going to have to be fighting this war and in a trench with a radical feminist, Phyllis, We'll do it because we're on the same side, but I never expected this to happen. <laughs> so, right? <laughs> so, um, and I had many experiences just like that in the conservative world. People who loved what I was saying and were puzzled because, yes, I was still also a feminist. And um, once uh, Pat Robertson sent two people over to interview me in my home. And one was a very young man, and sort of missionary purity type. And he said, well, he says, how does it feel to be so close to a real Christian, you know, and talking to him? I said, well, how does it feel for you to be so close to a radical feminist <laughs> talking to her? Right. It was all very humane and, and good intentions. But... I began experiencing, and I'm not alone in this, but I may have been 
early on, one of the first uh, riots on campus when I spoke. Now, I, I was a professor at a branch of City University of New York for nearly 30 years. This was unheard of. If I would lecture, this would never happen. Now it began to happen. And of course, it is happening ever so much more to ever so many more people. And is very troubling and very worrisome. And I do not see how to turn it around. I do not see people rising. I mean, there are, of course, small, wonderful groups of people who are doing everything within their power to rise to the occasion of calling out barbarism and um, opposing it, but they preach to the converted. Let me interrupt you there, because uh, when I started reviewing material, I was startled by how much we were lined up with each other. Um, There was a very discouraging phrase somewhere, I've forgotten where, where you said or someone said that this could take 50 years to turn around. Well, the propaganda against Israel, the big lies, filthy, huge big lies, have been in the works for 70 years, certainly for 50 years, during which time the Israeli government and um, Jews who care and Christians who care about Jews didn't take it too seriously. Exactly. Didn't think, oh, the cognitive war is maybe the hottest war. If we lose the cognitive war, we're going to lose the future. We're going to lose the next generations. And that's game up. No one paid attention. So now we are coming from behind, from way behind. So we have generation upon generation. Now they're professors, now they're human rights activists, now they're heads of delegations at the United Nations. Although, and that's indeed from the Muslim countries and from Europe. They believe that the West is to blame for the most evil imperialism and colonialism with absolutely no awareness of the nature of Islamic colonialism and imperialism and conversion via the sword. None. So the the existence of slavery is still legal and still practiced under the radar in many, many Muslim countries. But those who are very righteously in a rage over historical slavery in the Caribbean, in South America, and in North America, and in America, rather, they think that an alliance with Muslims will somehow save them, because they do not understand that Islam is a, it's a set of ideas. It's a totalitarian ideology. It is not a race. You can be any color and be a Muslim. Just as you can be any color and be a Christian or be a be a Jew, so this madness has been percolating. It's in te- all the textbooks in America, graduate school and college level, that are about racism. Do not include anti-Semitism, and all the crimes that Israel has been accused of really are the crimes of Islam and not the crimes of the Jews in Israel. But very few will believe this by now. 
What, what do you think is the motivation of these people? Not the Muslims, but the non-Muslims who are these true believers. What do they get out of this? Well, first of all, they're, they're virtue signaling like crazy. They're showing in every way possible that they are for social justice and they're anti-racist and they're anti-misogyny and they're just the best people on earth. And what this gets them is, believe it or not, popularity and funding and jobs. Um, now, they're also coming from a deeper place. In the West, in the Judeo-Christian tradition, we believe in helping those in need, the stranger, the immigrant, those trapped in a war zone, um, those mired in poverty and illiteracy. We believe in that. And we don't want to have that good taken from us by a death cult that does not believe that way at all. And that, as we've just seen in the most recent London Bridge jihadist attack, this jihadist, Usman, Usman Khan, he went after the very people who were young Cambridge graduates right. who were engaged in the rehabilitation of prisoners. And, that, and, and a terrorist, a jihadist, is not a regular prisoner. They're in a very different category. And I'm not at all certain about their being de-radicalized, which is the program that this Usman Khan was part of and that the two people who he murdered uh, were part of. Now, the situ now what are we going to do with such facts? Do, do we shoot all jihadists? Do we keep them in solitary for the next 70 years of their lives? Do we pay for their room and board in solitary? Do we... Uh, send them back to their countries of origin where they will perpetrate jihad anyway and might return. Or they come from their native-born Europeans or native-born Americans. What do we do? We don't have an answer. How do we protect our civilians? Do we need to have police bodyguards for every civilian or at least for those that are uh, being targeted by fatwas? I don't know. I don't have the answer. But these questions and these issues are all the issues that Israel alone has been facing. They are surrounded by jihadists, by, jihadist, by jihadists who attack them constantly. And when they defend themselves, the world media and the progressives who run most of the world media blame Israel for self-defense and find the terrorist attackers faultless. Let me Innocent ask you. victims. Let me ask How do you turn this around? I, I, I'm not sure, but I wanted to ask you something about what you just said here. My father was an immigrant to this country. The thing that got him most about this country is how happy, uh, pleased with himself, and above all, how confident Americans were. Uh, of course, coming as a Jew from Europe, you weren't that confident. How Americans would just go here and go there and, uh, and make this plan and that plan. And and how do you change this in a blink of an historical eye? I mean... You mean the, the dreamy Westerners who travel into danger without... Well, no, I mean... I mean, no, I mean that too. 
But I mean that Americans used to be proud of themselves. Now, I mean, I notice my students. My students start off with an apology before they say anything. I understand. Well, uh, that's really unfortunate. Yes, remember the Americans who were confident and competent, too, were known also as the ugly Americans because they weren't French, <laughs> because they didn't uh, have some European panache. I don't know well, why that's you true. should have such self-glorification given their roles in world wars and their roles as colonial powers. But setting that aside, um, the apologia that you are thinking of comes from books from talk shows, from college education, from high school educations, and college and graduate school educations, and from foundations that fund research. If it's not anything, not the hard sciences are spared. You will not get physicists necessarily in droves signing petitions against Israel. All right, so that the hard sciences. To, to the best of my knowledge, have not proselytized against America no. or against no. Israel or against the West, but every other discipline has. So, therefore, anyone who's an American is an apologist for being an American, as if our wealth or our competence or our success has been purchased by the suffering of others, probably not who are white, and who are poor and who have been brought low because of us. And we have to apologize and we have to reach out. And so you get people reaching out, Westerners, going to Pakistan and Afghanistan to administer polio vaccines where they get murdered. Well, they're seen as uh, Christian missionaries. Well, here's the thing. The people who were, let us just let me call them socialists in the past, didn't make much progress. I remember a phrase by this uh, German socialist in St. Louis at the turn of the century. He, he wrote back to his uh, uh, friends in uh, Germany and he says, everything here that I try and preach about uh, socialism runs up against cherry pie and roast beef. And no one listens. Why did all of a sudden people pay attention to these people instead of just declaring them, you know, quacks or idiots or whatever? Because there are people who believe that there is no God, there is no biology. Okay. And therefore that human beings can improve human nature, even if it means killing hundreds of millions of people. <laughs> as Stalin did, as uh, Mao did, as Pol Pot did, etc., because they are improving. They're going to make life perfect. Everyone will be the same. Everybody will be equal. Nobody will suffer. Everyone will have what they need. So I think that even though I'm simplifying it a bit, that there is a hubris and an antagonism to the possibility that there might be a natural order and that there might be a God and that biology is real. That those who say, no, 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 I, I'm short, but really, in my mind, I'm a six foot five 
Japanese samurai warrior, right? And if you don't agree with me, I'm going to kill you. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm going to sue you. Right? So it's that way of thinking. Everything is social conditioning. We can do human engineering that will be better than anything God and God doesn't exist ever did. So I think some of it comes from this place of hubris. And some of it comes from a desire to alleviate suffering. Yeah. It's right. That's mixed in there, and that makes it a little difficult with these people. Um, right. I, I have read and read and read and interviewed people and talked and everything to try and figure some of these things out. And um, the only time that I can find that's analogous to our time is in Europe between the wars. In Europe, between the wars, there were a lot of intellectuals, in fact, probably most, who had this attitude that um, uh, the West was wrong, period. Uh, that the Germans were not really our enemies, that we had been talked into this by a, a industrialists who wanted to make money making bombs. And there was this constant attack on the West. Um, that's the only time. There's one more thing I want to mention, then have you comment on this sort of thing. I call this stuff, uh, historians call it a failure of nerve. And the classic quotation that I remember is, a guy was talking about uh, the, our military, and he said, you know, years ago the Greeks used to go forth and slaughter barbarians day and night until they couldn't raise their sword above their head. And then all of a sudden they lost their nerve. And then they were taken over by a bunch of Roman farm boys. And that's what I feel. We're being taken over by a bunch of Roman farm boys. Well, I think it's worse than that because we've got global uh, interconnectedness and that can pollute the minds everywhere with very big lies. And at the same time, we're very connected, but what can we do to help those who are being slaughtered in the streets by the mullahs in Iran? Nothing. No. So we're rendered increasingly passive observers in history, collaborators, if you will, because we do nothing, but we seem to see the pictures and read some descriptions. And yet, at the same time, our minds are being poisoned with uh, wrong, over-the-top, propaganda. To me, it feels that I agree with you, but I've been feeling this since the beginning of the 21st century, that this, we're in a period that's leading up to an awful genocide, or many genocides, to awful wars that the, uh, I'm thinking specifically, look at all the deplatforming and disinviting of people who are being defamed and branded as quote conservatives yes. as if thinking independently is really a crime that must be called out and punished i live 20 minutes from rutgers university in new brunswick and a few years ago they invited condoleezza rice i mean what do you want she's a woman she's black right uh, she's achieved a great deal and a tiny group of people, a tiny group, they listed them one time in the paper, of uh, maybe half a dozen professors and two dozen um, uh, students objected, and they withdrew the um, the invitation. It's an outrage, and it's such a, uh, it, it's first 
um, hatred of authority, also a concerted effort to get rid of history, not to know it, to take the statues down and to have no mention of it. Whatever you don't like or don't like how some people behaved 100 or 500 years ago, you just like wipe them clean, revisionist history. Both things are happening and no respect for authority. And all of this is done as if acting up, acting out and protesting and interrupting uh, somebody who's lecturing is a form of intellectual or academic excellence. Well, why do you think the administrators are frightened of these punks? I mean, even at Yale, for God's sakes. Yes, indeed, uh, Yale. Uh, uh, did, well, they're frightened. <laughs> they shouldn't be, but they are. But worse, they may also agree with them. Oh. Well, Consider that. <laughs> that's a possibility. I understand also that if you're with, a, let's say, a mid-level university and you have some trouble, a riot, this, that, the other thing, uh, you, your applications actually drop a great deal because most parents aren't paying attention, but they heard there's something wrong there, so don't go there. But but a school like Yale doesn't have to worry about that. A school like well, Harvard. <laughs> well, look, where the cognoscenti, the elitists, yes, are not any longer looking for diversity that is intellectual. Right. They are looking for diversity that's ethnic, sexual preference, uh, gender, and anti-gender as well. So this is not my definition of diversity. Uh, If you go to a school and you want to learn something, (laughs) that's not what it's about. But clearly, I am not agreeing with all of the acceptable powers that be now. And, you know, they also have a point. It's the alleviation of suffering desire. There has been tremendous discrimination and marginalization yes. and, and young people who, are, who don't have money and can't get a scholarship, right? Or who aren't quite as brilliant as so many of, think of who, who was, I'm thinking of Harvard. And I don't like how that lawsuit ended with Asian Americans are not being discriminated against when they are because they need to have more African Americans at Harvard, right? Because they can't quite compete with the excellence, certainly in science and in much else, that Asian Americans are displaying. So how do you handle this? What do you do? You want to be fair you want to give excellent education with networking and one's future career all tied in. Um, how do you balance it all? So the, I don't like at all how administrations have been performing this balancing act to the detriment of the Western canon. And yeah, I, I think a lot of works by dead white men are very, very important. And there are very important works by dead white women that were not taught in my time and that are being taught now and works by people of all colors and both men and women that are now being taught more. This is a good thing. But how do you balance it all out? If I knew that, I would bottle it. 
Um, yes, of course. Of course. <laughs> um, so, I, I, let me ask you something else. I live, as I say, about 20 minutes from Rutgers. At Rutgers, they have a woman, Professor Puar. I don't know if you're familiar. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Right. Go ahead. For people who are not aware of this, she uh, has a number of theories uh, that reflect badly on Jews. One of her theories is that the Jews in the Middle East are stealing body parts. It's insane. From Palestinians. I mean, this is either a bad joke or it's not because it's a... Um, it's an old refrain that Jews are stealing blood. In fact, it's often called the blood libel. And, uh, yes, exactly. and, and yet, and yet, this woman, um, she, uh, she went on, oh, she also writes her book is about how Israeli soldiers deliberately uh, maim uh, Palestinians, because maiming takes more resources to take care of than just burying someone if they kill them. Here's the thing. They, there was a little fuss made of it, and the president of the college this said she is uh, wonderful. She is a world-class scholar. Uh-huh. And, and it, it just, it, it's just nuttiness. She's as much a world-class scholar, I believe her name is Jasper Poor, yeah. uh, as Linda Sarsour is. Linda Sarsour was hardly, as she was branded, a woman's rights leader. She was only a pro-Islamist, pro-Palestine person. Now she's finally left that fake branding and she's come out as a Palestine activist. So, but what is being said is hysterical. I mean, as a former therapist, I'm thinking these people are deluded, but they're encouraged in these delusions. They're members of a cult that trades in these huge lies. Okay. And here she's being rewarded academically or called a scholar. I think you've hit on something very, very important that is almost never mentioned. It is as if someone who believes that his children have been turned into sheep was told by all of her neighbors, yes, your children have turned into sheep. I mean, they, these, this is the first group of widespread delusionary situation where the society actually encourages and supports these people instead of saying... You almost, yes, you almost begin to think of millennial um, ideas in the Middle Ages of there's a Messiah coming yes. or, you know, there's, there's something very psychotic and yet everyone is signing on to it. They're all drinking uh, the Kool-Aid. They're all in yes. Jim Jones's Guyana retreat. Yes, yes. One is, one is encouraging the other. I, I was supposed to speak at a conference at the University of Arkansas Law School Yes. On honor killing. I've done four studies on honor killing. And there was no one else there who had done any academic research. And the subject was uh, honor-based violence. And then three professors protested and threatened violence or uprising or acting out, whatever it is. And I was hastily at the last minute disinvited. 
And I researched these three professors, and they all had one thing in common. There was huge media coverage of this, and other people had other views. What I found they had in common was not, you know, uh, the belief that Islamophobia exists, which it doesn't, but rather they were all researchers in and for Palestine. And when they Mm. saw me coming, they didn't see someone who works on behalf of mainly Muslim women who are trying to flee from being killed and who are applying for political asylum here. Based on my research, I submit affidavits when asked to courtrooms. What they saw was a Zionist. And a Zionist to them is a caricature of a Jew with horns and a tail. And they had to make a stand not to allow me to be there. But there's the not fact, even when I offered to do it via Skype, not come to the campus. Well, but it doesn't it strike you as rather fantastic that these three people have that much influence in Arkansas? I it does. It absolutely I mean, does, because the administration and everyone else is afraid of mobs, of um, chanting mobs, of rioting mobs. Indeed, exactly everything that Israel has to deal with on the border with Gaza. Yes, which is everything yes. here. And there's a fearfulness about it, and there's appeasement of it, just as there's appeasement of jihadists, which is suicidal. But suicidal. Let me mention something and have you comment. These people are fascists, but they are the shortest fascists I've ever seen in history. I mean, they are totally dependent on the people they're insulting. It's not like you can go from that position and become a high flyer on Wall Street or own your own business or cultivate the soil. Nothing. Without this job, they are they descend into nothingness. And and you're yeah. talking about the professoriate. Yes. And the administrators above them. Right. Well, you know, they are fighting very viciously over very small breadcrumbs compared yeah. to other sectors. Yeah. And therefore, their fight is fiercer. Anyway, so this is all very interesting. We went far afield. Okay. Uh, well, we have much more to talk about, but perhaps not all at once. Yes, that, I think so, too. I am absolutely delighted that you uh, allowed me to carry on a bit here. I should actually be uh, giving more time to you to carry on. Um, no, 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 no. It was a good conversation. And if you come into New York City, you should come and see me. All right. I thank you very, very much. And I will be telling people to read your columns so they can get up to date. Okay. Thank you very much. My website is phyllis com. I post my articles there. Um I publish in a number of places, Israel National News, sometimes Equilette, um, sometimes at New English Review. I've been around the block. I've been everywhere, but now that's where my focus is. And you know a lot of really important things, and you knew it before most people. Uh, when, yes. Uh, we, will, we will be posting this podcast in a few days. And uh, we'll okay. reference you. Thank you very much. Very good. Thank you, George, very much, too. Okay. Bye. Bye.